Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Threw me off. It's a good day. It's a good day. I, I think I should tell you, whether you're watching online or joining us in person, man, I'm grateful every time I get a chance to spend time with you. But I would suggest that whether you're here for the first time or the 400th, that I need to tell you that I have a special sense of expectation today. And that's because we are about to jump into a study on the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. And if you are joining us for the first time, whether it's in person or online, this is a great weekend for you to be here. And because I'm telling you that God wants to speak to you and speak to me in this book called 1 Timothy. And as I say that, I'm not sure me telling you that God wants to speak to you is a promise or a warning. And maybe it's both, you know? Because I think we need to prepare ourselves when God wants to speak to us. In fact, I would suggest that there's one thing that we absolutely need to have in a moment when God wants to speak to us, if we want that word that God speaks to us to be powerful and effective. And we need humility. And the way that I want to define humility throughout this series is this way, that God loves me and that's enough. God loves me, the God of the universe loves me, accepts me, approves of me, values me, says I'm worthy, and that's enough. There's going to be two different ways that I think God's going to be speaking to you in this study of 1 Timothy, and that's words of encouragement and words of correction. And for you to really, really embrace a word of encouragement, you need to understand that God loves you and that's enough. Because a word of encouragement from from, from somebody who you don't respect or you don't honor or you don't look up to doesn't really mean much to have that sense of humility before God that says, God, you are great and you love me and that's enough. I really want you to be encouraged in this series. And also, there's going to be times that God is going to speak a word of correction. And the truth is, you and me, we don't overly love words of correction. Right? And I can tell that about you because you hate backseat drivers. You do. It annoys you. It annoys me like crazy. Okay, man, you want to you, you take over? Actually, forget that. I don't want you to take over because you're probably a terrible driver, so shut up, okay? Backseat drivers. And every once in a while, when God speaks a word of correction, it's like, whoa, God, the last thing I need from you right now is for you to be a backseat driver. Well, I got a warning for you. God's not looking to be a backseat driver in your life. God's looking to tap you on the shoulder and say, pull over. I'm going to take over. That's what he wants to do. God wants to speak a word of correction to you. He, want, he wants you to pull over and let him take over. See, the way that God's word of correction works would be this, that God really wants to lead you in your life to a place of hope so that you can take hold of it and bring it to others. God really wants to bring you in your life to a place of freedom. Freedom. So that you can take hold of it and give it to others. God wants to bring you to a place of joy so that you can take hold of it and bring it to others. God wants to take you in a place. In September of 2021, God wants to bring you to a place of peace so that you can actually embrace it and give it to others. 
And every once in a while in your life, God will say, hey man, here's the problem. You're headed this way. Hope, peace, freedom, and joy are that way. I need to take over. But it's really, really, it's a promise and it's a warning. Let's get ready for everything that God wants to do. Now there's two main characters in this book of 1 Timothy. Paul and Timothy. In fact, what we call the New Testament book of 1 Timothy is actually a letter written from Paul to a protege of his named Timothy. So let me give you a little bit of background on Paul. Paul was not born and raised to be a Christ follower. Paul lived in the first century AD, and and Paul was raised to be a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a, a religious Jew. The Pharisees were religious Jews who were well-connected and extremely politically powerful. And the reason why they were so well-connected and politically powerful is because they were religious. Let me explain it this way. The Pharisees said this, if you want to be right with God, and who doesn't, you need to obey certain rules and regulations. We will tell you what they are, and we will tell you how to obey them. Therefore, they were extremely well-connected and politically powerful. Paul referred to himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, Paul would have been the elite of the elite. Many scholars believe that Paul was actually a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council, the elite of the elite of the elite. Their power was also based on religion. They had the right to make laws, to pronounce verdicts, and to dole out punishment. Well, now Jesus Christ has stepped into human history. He lived, died, and rose again, and the church is spreading like crazy. And that really threatens the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. Because the message of Jesus says this, to be right with God, you don't need to keep rules and regulations. You don't need to jump through hoops. You don't need to listen to anybody else. You just need a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, salvation is not achieved at all. It is just received by faith in Jesus. And so for the Pharisees and for the Sanhedrin, that threatened their ability to be well-connected and politically powerful. So they opposed the church at every turn. And Paul was one of the most effective opposers of the church. The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees sent Paul out to stop the church. So Paul would travel around with the authority of the Sanhedrin. He would harass Christians. He would arrest them. He would have them beaten. And at least one occasion, Paul ordered and witnessed the murder of a young Christian leader named Stephen. But suddenly in, 40, in 34 AD, Paul is on his way to Damascus, still breathing out murderous threats to the Christian church. And God literally knocked Paul flat on his back. And Paul meets Jesus face to face. And Paul's life completely changes. There's a lot of people watching online today. There's a lot of people in person today. You would say, that's my story too. I met Jesus and everything changed. See, because now Paul, instead of persecuting Christians, Paul goes around preaching the gospel. Instead of uh, trying to destroy the church, Paul goes around planting churches. Paul becomes an ambassador for Christ. In fact, that's why we give Paul the title apostle. Apostle means ambassador. Paul was an ambassador of the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world, the apostle Paul. So much so that in 48 AD, Paul goes on what we refer to as his first missionary journey. 
travels all over the place, and one of the cities that he goes to is a city called Lystra. And he's there with his teammate, Barnabas. And they're just about to get ready to preach. And Paul looks at this guy, and this guy is crippled. And Paul can tell by looking at him, God shows Paul by looking at him, that this guy has a ton of faith. So Paul says to him, get up and walk. And he does. Well, now the people of Lystra are like, this is amazing. We have gods right here in our midst. And they start to worship Paul and Barnabas. They worship Barnabas as Zeus, and they worship Paul as Hermes because Paul talks the most, and Hermes was the mouthpiece of Zeus. They're worshiping, they're worshiping Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas are like, this is insane. Like, this is a nightmare. This is not why we're here. We're not here to make ourselves famous. We're here to make Jesus famous. We're not here to have you worship us. We're here to have you worship Jesus. But the more that Paul and Barnabas, it says they even ripped their clothes, they're like, no, please don't worship us. The people of Lystra just keep on coming. In fact, they're trying to sacrifice animals to them. So it's this turmoil. This turmoil is happening in Lystra, and just at that moment, some religious Jews sent by the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin show up. Remember in 34 AD, Paul had a life change? And before that life change, Paul had worked for the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to oppose the church. Well, once he had that life change, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees sent a group after Paul to do the same thing to him that he used to do. Everywhere Paul goes, they're there to oppose him. So now imagine they walk into Lystra and there's this turmoil going on. Here's Paul and Barnabas begging these people not to worship him. The people are trying to sacrifice idols and, and these religious Jews, they turn the crowd against Paul so much so that they stone him. They throw rocks at him until they assume he is dead. They throw him outside the city, and they leave him there. Now, biblical, biblical scholars aren't exactly sure what happened. Either Paul was in a deep state of unconsciousness and revived, or Paul was dead and God raised him. Whatever it was, Paul got up, walked back into Lystra, kept preaching, and left the next day. Three years later, he shows up in Lystra on his second missionary journey, and he meets this kid named Timothy. And we know a few things about Timothy. Number one, most scholars believe that Timothy became a Christian, a follower of Christ, through listening to Paul preach the last time. Uh, Timothy's grown in his faith like crazy, really, really well respected. At the time that Paul shows up on his second missionary journey, Timothy's about 20, Paul's about 46. So kind of like spiritual dad, spiritual son. And they develop this great friendship. In fact, Timothy continues on with Paul on his second missionary journey. They go all over the place. They plant churches. And one of the places they plant churches in a city called Ephesus. And about 12 years later, Paul and Timothy just get closer and closer. About 12 years later, Paul sends Timothy back to Ephesus. He says, we got a problem in Ephesus. See, the church in Ephesus was amazing. It was a church of incredible diversity which is really cool because it reminds me a little bit of our church. For years and years and years now, I've looked around our church and I've realized that, man, we need to be so thankful for the diversity of this church. There's a lot of people who will tell you that there's a missing generation in the North American church today, and that missing generation is people 18 to 30, year old, 30 years old. We've never had that problem. We've, we've never had that problem. We're so amazingly blessed as a church to have so many 18 to 30 year olds. But if you do see churches with a lot of 18 to 30 year olds, often you'll see just 18 to 30 year olds. We don't have that problem either. We're thankful for every demographic. We're a really, really diverse church, which is amazing. All different backgrounds, all different ages, men and women, different political persuasions. 
And that's something to be rejoiced about. And Paul says, Timothy, we want to hold on to that diversity. But there was a problem in the city of Ephesus. Because of all their diversity, they were allowing their diversity to cause division. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Can you imagine a society, a culture, in which there was a lot of diversity, and for some reason, the enemy, the devil, was trying to use that diversity to cause division? Can you relate to that at all? Can you think of an example that might, I can. So yeah, um, so perfect timing for you and me. Perfect timing for you and me. And I believe each week, as we walk through this book of 1 Timothy, probably for the next two months, God's gonna speak to us. And I believe there's three things that I want to point out today about what God wants to speak to you and me about chapter one of this letter, of this book that we call 1 Timothy. It opens up this way. It's Paul writing. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty cool. Paul looks at Timothy and says, you're my spiritual kid. I love you. And I'm sure that Timothy would have looked at Paul and said, you're like my spiritual dad. And, and we look back in 2021 and we say, man, how cool is that? You know, to be Timothy and to have the, the apostle Paul, author of two-thirds of the New Testament, as your mentor. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. This is how a second-century historian described the apostle Paul. <clears throat> He was a bald-headed, bow-legged short man with a big nose and an unbroken eyebrow that lay across his forehead like a dead caterpillar. <laughs> okay, so a short dude who walked funny with a big nose and a uni—is it called a monobrow or a unibrow? Unibrow. Uni, okay, with a monobrow. Okay, so that doesn't sound as cool. That doesn't sound as impressive. In, in, in fact. Paul was often, incu- often accused of being unimpressive. He himself wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 10. Listen to this. For some say, this is Paul writing, some people say about me, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. It's interesting. So of all the people in the world, for Timothy to follow, because remember, well, I shouldn't say remember, Timothy had a Greek dad, Jewish mom, well-connected, well-respected, growing in Christ out of all the people in the world for him to uh, choose as his mentor. He chose Paul, short guy with a unibrow. It, it made me think about what you and I value in people, what our culture values in people. And I started thinking about it, you know, I think one of the things that when I look around our culture today that I, that I think we automatically ascribe value to in people, it's beauty. It's beauty. We look at beautiful people and we ascribe to them great value. In fact, I would even go further. I would go further and say that we look at beautiful people and we ascribe to them attributes that their beauty um, doesn't necessarily contain. We think they're probably good character. That they'd be good to hang out with good to date or marry because of their beauty. I read years and years ago a quote, it says this, pity the beautiful person, they never become whole. And the reason this person wrote that in the context of our culture is because for a beautiful person, they really don't have a lot of motivation to become whole. (laughs) 
They don't need really to develop a lot of character. They don't really need to develop a lot of wisdom. They don't really need to develop a lot of integrity. They might have all that. You can be beautiful and have all that. I mean, I am, but it's hard. You understand what I mean? Okay? But it doesn't necessarily, you don't have a lot of motivation to become that. And, and yet there's something in our culture, and we've all been raised in it, to look at beautiful people and ascribe value to them. I would suggest the second thing that we ascribe value to in our culture is wealth. We look at wealthy people and we, for some of us, or in our culture, we look at wealthy people and we ascribe to them value. In fact, I would again suggest that we ascribe to them attributes that they may or may not have. They may be wise, or they may just be rich and dumb. They may have strong character, or they might not. They may have integrity, or they might not. And yet there's something in our culture that we look at somebody who has a lot of stuff and we assume that they are then valuable and worthy of spending our time with. And I think the third thing that maybe our culture ascribes value to would be popularity. And that's a tough one because you say, well, doesn't, that, doesn't we value them and then they become popular? So yeah, but it's weird because in our culture what happens is um, there's people who self-promote until they become popular, and then because they're popular, they become more popular. Like, they're popular for being popular. Does, does that make sense? Now, now, popular people might have character, and they might have integrity, and they might have great wisdom, but they might not. And I would add one thing in this politically charged environment that we live in in 2021. It's that uh, not only popular, but popular in the right circles. And you better not say the wrong thing about the wrong issue, because that's going, then you're done. And it's kind of heartbreaking that as a culture, we look at each other that way. And, and, and it's heartbreaking for a lot of reasons, but here's one of them. One of them is that Jesus says that the way that we look at other people needs to be defined by what? Love. And yet when we value people because they're beautiful, rich, or popular, it's not really love. See, love is about giving. When I value someone for being beautiful, it's about getting. I just want to be around. I want to gaze on your beauty. I want to be associated with your beauty. When, when, we, when we value someone because they're wealthy, we look at them and we say, man, like, I want to be around you. Maybe you'll give me some money. Or maybe your richness will rub off on me. When you, when you value someone for being shiny and popular, I think part of it is because, well, if I'm around a shiny and popular person, maybe I'll get some shine too. And so I think the first thing that God wants to speak into your life, into my life, is this. We need to value people like Jesus values people. We need to value people from a stance of love. Not what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. Not from, for what I can get, but maybe for what I can give. It's really heartbreaking on a lot of different levels, but I'm going to give you another one. If you're treating other people that way, how are you treating you? In fact, I would suggest this might be the core of it. That somewhere along the line as a culture, we've been taught to believe that our value, the reason we value other people this way, is that our value is determined by how we look, what we have, and whether or not people like us. And that's a nightmare. See, Jesus knew you would stress out about this. He knew that I would stress out about this. He knew it. And so one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed it. Listen to this, this is Jesus speaking. If you decide for God, living a life of God 
worship. It follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never prim or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best the 10 best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. You need to value people because Jesus values people. You need to value you because Jesus values you. You need to value you like Jesus values you. Remember we said earlier we talked about humility? God loves me and that's enough. So we walk around the world and we have this concept, well, I'm not beautiful enough. Who told you that? Who told you that? God didn't tell you that. God loves you fully and completely. God created you. God thought you up. He designed you. He says you're beautiful. We walk around in our world and we say, well, I'm not wealthy enough. Who told you that? Who told you that? God never told you that. God, God says you're rich beyond your wildest dreams. Your past, your present, your future, your eternity has been taken care of by the God of the universe. We walk around our world and we say, man, we're not liked enough. We're not popular enough. We're not known enough. Who told you that? God never told you that. The God of the universe knows you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived, died, and rose again for you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows every thought in your head, every hair uh, or lack of, thereof on your head. He knows you, and he loves you, and he's with you, and he's for you. You need to value you. We need to value others like Jesus values others. So Timothy looks at Paul and says, the short guy who walks funny with the unibrow, that's him. That's who I want to follow. The guy who sold out for Jesus. The guy who turned his life around. The guy who was changing the world. I want to be just like him. So number one, I think God might want to speak into my life and your life today. We need to value others and value ourselves the way that Jesus does. Number two, I think we need to love the church because Jesus loves the church. Something really interesting. Paul says, I'm an apostle by the command of God. 
That's interesting. I'm an apostle by the command of God. So here's what I'm suggesting to you. I'm suggesting that when Paul was in high school, okay, he didn't fill out a, like a, an aptitude test and dream, you know, one day, I'll, I just want a white picket fence, nice house, 2.2 kids, uh, a, a, a dog, and uh, just a happy life, nice holidays, nice vacation. I know I'm going to be an apostle. That would have been a bad choice by Paul. We say, man, he was stoned until he, they thought he was dead. That wasn't like a crazy occurrence for Paul. That was like a Wednesday, okay, for his life. So, like, it, 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 it wasn't really a great choice for him, but he didn't do it as a career advancement decision. He did it because God told him to. And I think there's something really, really profound about that, you guys. Now, I'm not suggesting, I don't want to compare myself to the Apostle Paul at all. But that does remind me a little bit of my story. I'm 38 years old. I'm living my best life. My best life. 38 years old, living my best life. I'm coaching basketball. I'm teaching history 12. Did you think I was saying I'm 38 years old right now? Ish. Okay, I'm coaching basketball. I'm teaching history. I'm, I'm, I'm like the athletic director and the academic vice principal of a successful private school. I think I'm living my best life. And then somebody asked me to become the youth pastor at Southside Church. And here's the thing. In my life up to that point, I had never imagined myself becoming a 38-year-old youth pastor. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with becoming a 38-year-old youth pastor, but it had never entered my mind. Not once. So much so that I pretty much disregarded the offer. I sat down with my small group and my wife, Corinne, and they're like, you can't disregard it. You gotta pray about it. And God said, do it. And so I did. And it should be noted, it should be noted that that wasn't the beginning of my relationship with Southside Church. Corinne and I had been at Southside Church since day one in Chilliwack. We had attended, we had prayed, we had served, we had given from day one. And what I've come to realize is this, that, that, that it wasn't like God was now saying, I'm going to elevate your, your, your spiritual status. I'm going to elevate your role at Southside Church. No, he just changed it. And I want to suggest to you that every single person on staff at Southside Church has the same story. They didn't fill an aptitude test and dream one day, man, that's what I want to do as a career. God told them to. It's hard because a few weeks ago, again, I had somebody ask me, man, how do you become a preacher? And I have no idea how to answer that question. I had an unorthodox road. So I tried, though, I try. Because this is a great kid, great kid, and, and, and I want to give him the best answer I, I can. So I said, well, here's the best that I can tell you. Number one, humble yourself before God. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It trusts in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Humble yourself. God loves me, and that's enough. Uh, enough to encourage me, and even enough to correct me. So humble yourself before God. And then do your best. Starting where? Starting with those closest to you. If you're married, cherish your spouse. Love your kids. Love your friends. Man, wherever you're working, make whoever you're working for or working with be glad that you are there. Plug into your church. And maybe, maybe at some point God will say, hey, I want to change your role a little bit. You're going to come on staff and you're going to preach. And maybe he won't and it doesn't really matter. Do you understand? Because we all play our role. And I think when we start to see church that way, we're going to see church the way Jesus intends us to see church. See, I think there's two problems with, with this whole career aspiration view of the church. Number one is the Christian superstar view. Well, if you're a Christian superstar, 
then, 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 then you stand on, well, at Southside, because I'm here, most people probably don't think that, okay? But, 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 but you could be tempted to think, well, if you're a really great Christian, if you know everything, if you're like at a higher spiritual plane, then you're on staff. But that's not true. That's the Christian superstar, superstar fallacy. Man, I loved my time serving at Southside Church. I loved giving to the mission of this church. I loved every bit of it. I'm not gonna stand up here and say, man, my time right now is way more effective. No, it's just different. One of the things we say, say a lot around here is that the most visible roles at Southside Church aren't the most valuable. We don't know, we just all do our part. Because I, th- I think the, the second thing that can happen is not just the Christian superstar, superstar mentality, I keep on saying superstar, the Christian superstar mentality, Wait a minute, that's smart. It could also be the Christian superstore mentality. Or as I like to say, the customer is always right. Right? So the people on staff are Christian superstars. And the rest of us are what? We're customers. We're customers. That's, that wrecks the church and it wrecks your time in the church. Like this whole customer is always right mentality, right? One of the best examples of that is Costco. Have, have you ever noticed the Costco return policy? It's incredible. I've partaken of the Costco return policy a time or two myself and found it very, very great. But you can go online if you want to have like some fun reading and read stories from Costco employees talking about the kind of stuff that people take back to Costco. One of my favorite examples is this picture. It's middle of January. Nice. He's taking his Christmas tree back in the middle of January. I'm done with this. Didn't like it. Turns out I didn't like it. I just figured that out now in mid-January. See, when you have that mentality towards church, we all lose. You lose. We all lose. See, I think that there can be a tendency within churches and Paul makes it so clear, I'm here by the command of God. There, there can be a tendency amongst churches to have this mentality that says, well, the customer is always right. I'm the customer, so I'm right. No, you're not. You're not always right. You're not. I'm not. Jesus is always right. And we're going to humble ourselves before him, and we're going to ask him for words of encouragement, yes, but also words of correction. Does that make sense? And we're certainly not going to assume the Christian superstar fallacy that says, um, it's, only, it's, it's only people on staff. We're here together. What are we here to do? I would suggest that together, 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 what are we here to do? Together, we're here to know God better and better. Together, we're here to find freedom. Together. And that's why Leah mentioned earlier, I want to suggest to you again, if you're new to faith or new to Southside, and you, and, and you haven't yet been to 101, or you haven't registered to 101, I would ask you today, text 101, or show up in the lobby at 12.30, or if you're watching online right now, text us 101-604-670-3040. If you're online and in person, but you're not new to faith or new to Southside, and you're still not in a group, can we get on that? Let me be clear. We can know God better and better individually, but not to the same degree as we can, as we can when, when, when we come together collectively. And there's a certain kind of freedom that you're only going to find when you, when you get together with members of God's family. So what are we here to do? We're here to know God better and better. 
We're here to find freedom together and to help others do the same. And when we do that, we change the world together, together, together. We change the world. That's what we're here for. We're not a holy huddle that caters to the convinced. We're a movement. We're a mission. And we're here to change the world. We're here to reach out with the message of the gospel to people who desperately, desperately, in September of 2021, need a hope that only he can bring. So the three things I wanted to point out today that God wants to speak into your life. Number one, we need to value people like Jesus values people. Number two, we need to love the church like Jesus loved the church. And number three, well, let me read it for you. On my way to the province of Macedonia, I advise you to stay in Ephesus. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Well, I haven't changed my mind, Timothy. Stay right there on top of things so that teaching stays on track. I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were violence and witch hunts and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me, and all because of Jesus. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy, and now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. There are some, you know, who by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes have made a thorough mess of their faith. Hymenius and Alexander are two of them. I let them wander off to Satan to be taught a lesson or two about not blasphemy. Thought we would end on a positive note today. By the way, it should be noted that that letter that Paul wrote would have been read in front of the entire church. I wonder if Hymenius and Alexander were there that day. They probably were. Okay, so what's going on? We probably need to explain this just a little bit. Okay, the third thing that I think God wants to speak into your life is this. Sometimes you need to stand your ground because Jesus is with you. So Paul writes to Timothy, you gotta stay there, Timothy. I know you wanna get out of there. And this is probably the last thing in the world that you thought you would have to sign up for, but you need to stay. And then he kind of develops his argument. He says this, I am so grateful, Timothy. Look at me, look at me. It's not about me, Timothy. It never has been about me. It's about Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love. Look at me. I'm public sinner number one, and yet he saved me, and he's using me to save others. It's incredible. I'm so grateful, and I'm so humble. It's beautiful. It's not about me, Timothy. And then he says, but. You live in this incredible community called Ephesus, and there's a lot of diversity, and that's to be celebrated, but now there's division, and it's because some people in the church are making it about them. See, I think there's two ways, well, three ways, actually, that we can make it about us in church. Number one, we can disagree disagreeably. We can disagree disagreeably, you get it? Like there's these close-handed issues that we need to stand on with, with every breath in our body. We need to stand on. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived, died, rose again to save sinners just like me. That is close-handed. That is non-negotiable. But what's happening in September of 2021 and what was happening in first century Ephesus is all kinds of open-handed issues threatened to come into the church. So now we're arguing about weird stuff. 
You know, churches have split over the color of carpets or the volume of music. It's not necessarily that in 2021. What is it? It's politics. Everything is political. Everything is charged. And, and Paul says, you can't make it about that because if you do, it's all about you. It's all about you winning and others losing. And it's not close-handed. And what you're doing is you're taking a close-handed issue or an open-handed issue and you're making it close-handed. You're saying, man, if you really love Jesus, you couldn't believe that. And people are disagreeing disagreeably in the Ephesian church. Let that not be true of us. Let us understand the difference between close-handed issues and open-handed issues. Let us not disagree disagreeably because when you start to disagree disagreeably, next thing you know, there's gossip happening in the church. There's slander happening in the church. There's this lose-lose mentality. I just want to bring you down at whatever cost. That can't happen. Paul says, Timothy, you can't go anywhere because you need to stand your ground against people who make it all about them. I think the second way that we can make it all about us in the church is that we're actually attending church not primarily to know God better and better, to find freedom together and to help others do the same. We have an ulterior motive. There's something else bringing us to church. I said earlier we had a lot of 18 to 30 year olds that call Southside Church home, which is so cool. And a lot of them are single. And so I've heard in the past that there'll be guys that start coming to the church and girls will start coming to the church because they'll be like, well, there's a lot of single people and that's awesome, I love that, I'm so glad you're here. But, but at some point, if you're a guy and you come here to, to meet single girls and even, even if all the girls at Southside don't like you, that's okay, Jesus loves you. You understand? Like, like, like at some point, we have, like there, there, there's got to be a deeper reason. Or, or people who, who look around in church, man, how can I build my business? By the way, can I say something? I hope your business thrives. I hope your business kills it. But that can't be your primary reason. Building a client list can't be your primary reason for attending church. What are we here for? We're here to know God better and better. The amazing thing about God is we get to spend forever getting to know him and we'll never exhaust our knowledge and the excitement of knowing God better. We get to know God better and better. That's why we're here. We get to find freedom together and help others do the same. That's why we're here. Man, I hope your business kills it, but that's not why you're here. And I, and I wanna bring up the third one, and I just thought about this yesterday because I think it's important. I think some people, I, I, I think I fall into this sometimes. I think some people just wanna be smart. And they want other people to look at them as smart. And so they come up with different ideas and different ways of thinking, at th thinking of things. Right? Maybe you've heard of the five onlys before. At Southside, we believe in the five onlys. Listen to this. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by the Bible alone, for God's glory alone. Let me say that again because this is really important. We believe that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by the Bible alone, for God's glory alone. And every once in a while, somebody will come along and they'll just feel like, yeah, but if I just add something to that, if I, if, if, if I just can appear smart, and now the church begins to suffer. So Paul says, Timothy, you gotta stand up. You gotta stand up. So, so what does that look like? Well, it looks like for every one of us, it always looks the same. Just stand for the truth. So there's people disagreeing disagreeably, if they come to you and gossip, man, you know what, that Mike Manis, he's Dutch. 
Well, it's true. You, you know, you have a problem with him? Let's go. I know Mike. Let's go talk to him. That, that guy from my small group, he, well, let's go talk to him. And if you're not going to talk to him about it, stop talking to me about it. Or if I see somebody and, and, it, and it's always about them, it's, it's, it's not about Jesus, at some point I go, hey, like, I'm, I'm pumped for you. I hope you do find someone to date. I, 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 I hope your business does thrive, but at some point, can we just go a little bit deeper here? And if you see somebody that's trying to be smart and they're adding things to the Bible, that it's not grace, faith, Christ, the Bible, for God's glory alone, you call them on that. And then Paul says, wander off to Satan. What does that mean? Here's what it means. At some point, when you call somebody in your life over and over and over again to a higher standard, you say, you can't gossip anymore. You can't slander anymore. We got to do better. I'll help you. And over and over and over and over again, they say, I'm going to keep doing it. Or they say they're going to do it, but they don't. At some point, Paul says, man, I got some truth seekers that I need to speak into their lives. And together, we need to know God better and better. We need to find freedom together. We need to help others do the same. And if you can't bring yourself to that place right now, So man, I want to just say again, I love you guys so much. I love the leaders in this church. Southside kids leaders, Southside youth leaders, Southside young adult leaders, all of our incredible small group leaders. Thank you. Thank you for standing your ground. Thank you for loving the people who you lead. Thank you for praying. I know this, God's at work. God's at work. Well done. Let's pray. So Jesus, we come before you humble. Thank you that you are our hope. You are our hope. As Paul wrote, any one of us here could call ourselves public sinner number one because none of us are perfect. And you love us fully and completely. I pray that that truth would just sink to the core of every one of us. That our beauty and our value and our notice comes from you. Our affirmation comes from you. Thank you. And as we're praying with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I, I guess I wonder if maybe anyone's ever told you before, whether you're watching online or in person, I wonder if anyone's ever told you before that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you right here and right now. So much so that he stepped into human history at just the right time. And he lived and he died and rose again so that your sins could be forgiven. So you could have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and eternal life. So I want to give you the chance right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. If today is the day you want to say, Jesus, I accept your gift. I accept it's not achieved, it's received, but if today is the day that you want to receive that gift that Jesus purchased for you, do you want to just raise your hand right now, whether you're in person or online? Even if you're online, I ask you to just raise your hand. That'd be great, so I can pray for you. It's amazing. If you're in person or online, you can put your hands down. I'm just going to pray for you. So Jesus, thank you. I'll come before you and I thank you that you look at me with complete love. 
So I pray that you would be my savior. I hand you my sin and my shame and my regret. And I pray that you would forgive it all and take it all away. Today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord, that you would lead me one next step at a time. Today, tomorrow, and forever. And for all of us, Jesus, I pray that we would be people that really value others and value ourselves the way that you do. I pray that we would be a people that just love this church, that it would never, we would never fall into this deception that most visible is most valuable, but we would all know that we're doing our part to know you better and better, to find freedom together and to help others do the same. And finally, God, I pray for courage. I, would pray that, I pray that we would be a courageous church. As you use us, as we see people saved, as we see people baptized, as we see people uh, going deeper, I also know there, there will be resistance. So God, first of all, I pray that we'd be a courageous people that know that our strength and our help doesn't come from ourselves, but from you. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.